Welcome to The Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Hani Rambod, and I have a very special guest today, Branch Warren, all the way from Dallas, Texas. And I want to say thank you to everyone who's been subscribing, commenting, and has made this podcast so successful in such a short period of time. So without further ado, please make sure you comment, make sure you subscribe, make sure you share this with friends, and let me know what you like or who else you want to see on The Truth Podcast. So let's go ahead and open up the waiting room. We got Branch Warren. Oh, oh there you know. are. Yeah. Yeah, there's that beautiful face. <laughs> you got that beautiful haircut, brother. Uh, no. <laughs> I work harder for this, man. <laughs> you and I both. After 30 minutes, I get it right. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're getting a little gray in the beard. I know it, brother. We, we both are. I know. I know. I think I beat you by um, your birthday is uh, end of February, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, 1975. Yep. Yep. And mine's January, 1975. So about a a month difference, ain't it? Yep. Yep. Just about a month difference. So let me know how you're doing. How's everything going with, um, first of all, thank you for taking the time to come on the truth podcast, because again, we just had Ronnie Coleman on here last week and we just launched that. And that's been really good because we got a lot of really good stories together. And I know you guys are both very, you know, live how many minutes away from one another right now? Probably 25, 30 minutes. 25, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. You're right. Well, and again, thank you for taking the time. I know you guys train at the same gym. Uh, we're going to get into some training and everything else, but how's everything going uh, with the whole situation with COVID and everything with the lockdown going on out there in Texas? Uh, you know, Texas, fortunately, we're not, uh, we're not really under a lockdown anymore. Uh, everything's open and uh, I think pretty much everything's open. I think the only thing they're not allowing is obviously like, you know, large, like the Cowboys play or something, you know, the stadium's not, not at full capacity uh, I think bars are even open back up. It, I think they're still limited a little bit, but pretty much everything else is open and running, and uh, we're back to back to pretty much normal. So, uh, you know, there is a mandatory mask. Um, you're not supposed to wear a mask, but, uh, you know, a lot of places aren't, you know, it's kind of optional for a lot of places, um, you know, but uh, for the most part, it's uh, things are back to normal. You know, most people are wearing masks, you know, to, to, to comply, but uh, thankfully it's, uh, I think, so far, it seems like the worst is behind us. Right. Hopefully, we continue in that direction and we get things back to back to normal. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Especially with all the businesses that are been, you know, very. Yeah, that, that's, that's the most depressing part about this, outside of the people that you know have lost their lives, um, you know, because of this disease. But um, there's so many businesses, you know, you know, especially restaurants and retail businesses that, that are closed now, and um, they just, you know, they couldn't. They survived it for a few months, but it's just a drug out so long that it's a. Uh, you know, a lot of these places just couldn't do it. You know, one of my favorite restaurants, I think it was 40 years old and uh, it closed down this past week. So uh, after 40 years. So uh, it's just sad when you see people, they put their whole lives into something and then, then it closes it down. It's no fault of it. It's not anything they did. You know, no way can control this thing. It's just uh, circumstances. So. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the situation is they're saying that maybe over 50 percent of the restaurants that have been closed are not going to be able to open back up again. Yeah. You look at somewhere like New York City, I mean, it's going to destroy, the, it's going to change the whole culture in New York City because those restaurants, I mean, I would say more than 50% of theirs, they're in the city will close. Uh, you know, in Dallas, I don't think it's going to be that bad, you know, but uh, some parts of the country, it's going to be devastating for them. Yeah, especially in New York City. So speaking of New York City, between California and New York City, a lot of people are moving to your neck of the woods. We are, man. There's uh, thousands of people to move into Texas, especially the Dallas Ward area, Austin, Houston area, San Antonio. Those areas are we're growing by leaps and bounds. It's a you know new home. I've got a, my brother-in-law and one of my good friends are both the home builders, 
and my brother-in-law, he works for a major, uh, he's an executive for a major home builder. I think they have like 3,000 homes that are construction right now. Wow. And uh, my other friend has, I think, 2,200 homes. He's an executive for another home builder. And I mean, it's everywhere. So, because all the new people moving in into Texas, and of course, the cost of living is here is, you know, compared to what it is in New York, California, the cost of living is really good here. We don't have state income tax, uh, low crime, and, uh, you know, it's just a different situation, what you get on the coast. Yeah, well, I think uh, we, we talked about that a little bit earlier. It's just a matter of people coming out there and hopefully they don't uh, end up bringing uh, a lot of their <laughs> a lot of their issues with it. Because- I, don't, I don't like getting into politics too much, but you know, I'll yeah. say this when it comes to uh, for you know finances and stuff. Um, we have a good cost of living and you know, we don't have income tax and all that because of the policies that are enacted. You know, so if you come here and you move here because of those reasons, because it's a good place to live, good place to raise a family. But if you start voting for people that want to change the policies like they were in Cali or in New York, then eventually it'll turn into that. And then where are you going to go? So, um, I mean, who, anybody that wants to pay more taxes is like out of their flipping mind, bro. <laughs> I, I mean, we don't need no new taxes. The government needs to spend less money and quit wasting money. That's what it needs to be. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, just like we were, me and you were talking last week about, you know, home prices and real estate prices, how crazy, crazy it's gotten like in Northern Cal, you know, the, where you live up there. And I mean, you're telling me these prices. And I'm just like, holy crap, it's insane. And, um, you know, yeah. I, and I mean, we are, our gas prices, you know, I was, I was filling up the Raptor and it was like four bucks, a, you know, four bucks a gallon. And right, you know what I paid today? What's that? Dollar seventy-five. Yeah. There you go. And, um, and, it's just the cost of living here has kind of gotten crazy. So I think a lot of people are starting to think twice about things, especially now that you're able to work from home. A lot of the, even the tech companies are saying, Hey, work from home. So whether your home's in Tennessee or tech, Texas or Nevada, so that's kind of the new norm. So I think that's one of the reasons why people are starting to go to places that are much more affordable. You can get land. I know you have a, a you know, a personal place that's got quite a, you know, some acres to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a farm. We've got a, about 160 acres and I've got a little cabin out there and then we just uh we just sold our house actually that we've had for a long time and just north of uh Fort Worth there and uh, we just bought another house so it's going to be a little bit closer to the farm and um so it's just you know just I love it I would live on the farm if I could if it wasn't so far out but just to get back and forth to the to work and to the gym it's just not even possible you know on a daily basis so especially if i'm when i'm back to traveling have to go to the airport and back and forth and last thing i want to do is land and after a 14-hour flight have to drive two hours so uh have you been traveling much right now no it's uh this is the first time in 20 years i haven't traveled since january my last trip was out to out to cali actually la Expo, and um that was my last show yeah i we did that and then i did a little tour for wiki cuts you know we went Went from started in the LA area and went down to San Diego and I made a few stops in between, of course, down there too. And then I flew home and haven't traveled since. Everything was canceled. You know, we had to lock down and shut down. All the overseas stuff is obviously canceled. So mm-hmm. haven't haven't done anything. So I'm, I'm my first trip is going to be to Montana next month for uh, visit some friends up there. And I've got some real close friends that live in the Kalispell Whitefish area. But that'll be my first trip, first time on a plane since January, which I'm not complaining about. Well, let's, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about, about the things that you do as hobbies, but I want to, I want to start off with, because this is a a lot of it has to do with bodybuilding and your history in bodybuilding. Cause some people, because your last show was probably, uh, 2000, what, 15? I was in March, 2016. 16. Okay. And that was, you know, four years ago, a little over four years ago. And, 
a lot of people don't know, you know, if Jay Cutler didn't come in in 2009, you'd be Mr. Olympia. True. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. Jay looked good. Uh, you know, I think uh, if he, I th- in my opinion, that was his all-time best conditioning. I think that's probably his lightest body weight as mm-hmm. if he went into Mr. Olympia. Uh, but he looked his best. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if I was three inches taller, I would have won. Yeah. I'm going to keep it real here. If the Olympia guys, bigger is better. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's what it is. You know, Jay's, I don't know, 5'9", 5'10". I'm 5'7". Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I weighed, I think, 242. Jay was probably 260. No, he was 256, 255. Okay. Yeah. And that was, again, that was super dried out. And and, and that yeah, was... His lightest weight that I knew of at the Olympia, as far as I know. Yep. So, uh, you know, he, that was his best condition ever. I think I was still harder than him, mm-hmm. but bigger. And, um, you know, it... Uh, it is what it is. So I did everything. You know, I have no regrets. I did everything I could do, man. I took what God gave me and made the most of it. Uh, I have no regrets. Well, in the world except for that. So it, let's 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 talk about that. You and Jay had go way back. Okay, let's let's go way way back because 2009, you guys battled it out first and second. Jay obviously was arguably his best ever, and I'm I'm a bit biased because I worked with him that year. But at the same time, I want to go a little bit beyond that and say, you guys were battling each other in high school, like right out of high school in teen class, I should say, right? Like 93? 90, 93, yeah. He was, uh, I was 18, he was 19, I think. I think he's a year older and uh, about. So yeah, we went to the teen nationals. He won the uh, super heavy, or he won the heavyweights. I won the light heavyweights. I just him out in the overall. Same same type of story, you know, I was harder. Uh, at this time, he just wasn't hard enough. So I got the I got the nod, but. Uh, yeah, you beat him. Yeah, we were kids back then. So uh, we, we competed against each other our entire career, basically, all the way up to amateurs, to the pros, all the way from from the teenage uh, teen nationals all the way to the Mr. Olympia. So, well, and the, what I liked about you and your physique, and this is what I tell a lot of people who ask me, and um, I didn't have the pleasure of working with you personally, but we've always we, we always talked about, hey, you know, let's, let's let's you know, there was some theory like conversations that we always had about possibly doing something together, whether whether it's in the gym or or doing a prep. But the one thing that I will absolutely say 100% is you are the most underrated bodybuilder in the last 20 years. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and the reason why I say that is because you are the prime example to me of exceeding your genetic potential or actually reaching it. And then, and then some where so many people in this industry are, whether it's just lack of hard work, not being focused, not determined, lazy, focusing too much on their genetics. They, there's so much of that that goes on and you know it, you know, how many people who don't aren't willing to do that work, whether it's in the gym, whether it's the diet, whether it's the cardio and what you did, which I am super impressed with is the fact that you've taken what God had given you and you have amplified it so much that you were able to actually come up with wins and really beating some amazing athletes that are genetically far more superior, but you, because of your hard work and your dedication and you're like literally a masterclass in maximizing your genetic potential to the point where I just sit there and go branch Warren all day long, branch Warren all day long. Well, who, who do you think is the guy that's the hardest worker in the room? Who's the hardest worker in the gym branch Warren. And I, and I, again, it's just, it's, it's a fact, man. I mean, what you've been able to do with your career, as long as you have, uh, is just a testament to your hard work. So I, I want to get a really tip my hat off to you, brother. 
Man, thank you. I, I don't think you give, I don't think you might give me a higher compliment than call me the hardest work in the room. I think at the end of the day, that's uh, that says something about, you know, you as a person, a man, and, and your character. Um, going back to what you said, I beat guys I should have never beaten. I mean, you know, I beat, I beat Phil Heath, you know, I beat mm-hmm. Kai, I beat, you know, the, these guys are just amazing bodybuilders. And I'll be honest with you, I should have never beat them. Do you know why I beat them? I wanted more than they did. But I'm mm-hmm. not. That's, that's why I beat them. I beat these guys, you know, Dennis Wolf, you know, people like this. And I, they, they were, genetically, they were, you know, superior. Um, if they would have just reached out and just wanted it, or they would, you know, like, take somebody like Phil. Phil has everything, you know. Yep. I think if he comes in good, he'll walk away with it this year again. Um, but I, I did, I just learned at an early age, you know, I look back and I looked at my physique and I assessed myself and I was like, all right, can I, do I have what, say, a Kai Green has? No, I'm totally different physique, totally different body. But I, I knew I could put a lot of muscle on my body and I knew I could get really, really hard. All right, plus bodybuilding. That's about being big and hard, right? So if you know, as long as you don't have some super wide waist or some, you know, crazy, uh, insertions or something you know where they're really short you don't you know genetically you can't overcome it i didn't have that i had an, i had good enough genetics and i knew i could put on a ton of muscle get super hard and i knew early on if you outwork everybody eventually we'll beat them i learned that as a teenager these guys that i competed against they, they had great genetics some of them but i trained harder than they did i dieted harder than they did i did my cardio harder than they did and guess what i beat them and so I learned that early on that if you if you're the hardest worker in the room and you cannot work all your contemporaries and you cannot work everybody on stage, they might get you in the in the beginning, but down the road you'll catch them and pass them and they'll never catch you. And uh, that, that's what I learned. It's hard work. You can't. There's no substitute for it. And I used to see some of these guys. I'm not gonna mention names, but there was guys I'm looking at them. I'm like, man, why? I wish I had that. Why? Right. You know, just you know, you just sit there and shake your head like, dude, if this dude would just step up and you know, get tough and do what needs to be done, no one would touch this guy. He freaking beat everybody and until he decided to retire or got hurt, you know? And, um, but you know, you just, I think for some guys it comes too easy. Yeah. So they, they early on, so they just never learn how to really grit it out and, and do what needs to be done. And, uh, they get by by doing, you know, 70% instead of a hundred percent and uh, it works for them. And, but they never really make it to that ultimate level. Well, I also think that with, I mean, you make a good point with Phil because, you know, I worked with Phil since, you know, right after he turned pro and with Phil, he was trying to catch kind of kind of catch a stride and understand what hard work was because if you don't know you don't know what you don't know and as he was able to push himself and be able in the gym because he grew into it he grew into it exactly he grew into his place of understanding where his limitation was because that limitation wasn't set at a young age like it was with you and jay because he was playing basketball you know, in basketball, it's about shooting free throws and shoot, making shots and trying to dunk and, and playing defense and, and not getting hurt and all those things. But he had to catch a stride where with you guys, both of you, uh, you more on the, I call you more of a power builder because you use a lot of weight. Um, like when you do power building where you, you're not uh, scared to do that. Jay was a volume guy that used to would use some weight, especially younger in his career, but he backed that off a little bit towards the end. But you've kind of kept it consistent. And with Phil, he was never a super strong guy. He, he got stronger as he let his limitation. He understood that his limitation was way higher than where he was um, basically training at. And as he was able to do that, that's when he started winning Olympias. And he started putting on that weight because as he got stronger. You know, I, that's funny you say that because I saw the evolution of Phil, you know, as he came in as an amateur 
and then he turned pro, and then I watched him as he evolved and, and all the way to winning the Olympia. And um, I saw his whole evolution, his training, as well as his physique, and it went hand in hand. Um, you're not going to win the Olympia without working hard, mm-hmm. period. So it don't, I don't care how genetically blessed you are. If you don't bust your ass and work hard, you ain't going to get there because you will get beat by somebody who did put in 100%. And that's been proven time and time again. Yeah, I mean, I think Flex Wheeler. I think Flex Wheeler was it was a very good example of that. Where we all know Flex was, uh, if not the most genetically, one of the most genetically uh, genetically gifted athletes ever. And and I think he'll even tell you that sometimes he would sabotage his own diet or he would sabotage his own training and do some of those things to not allow him. Now, for whatever reasons, at some point, hopefully we could have flex on here. He can tell it in his own words, what caused that and what, but at, at the end of the day, I remember hearing stories of rappers of, you know, uh, Wendy's underneath a seat. Right. Yeah. I was, uh, I was with flex down in Brazil and uh, we were on tour together for a couple of weeks and you know, he told me, you know, he told me some of the stories. So, hope you get him on the show, and because he's got some really very in-depth, interesting stories and how he sabotaged himself. You know, and uh, it was crazy. And I'll, I'll let him. You know, hopefully, get him on the show and let him tell you all about it. But he did, and he was, you know, probably Flex Wheeler is probably the most, the best bodybuilder in the history of the, world, the sport to not win an Olympia. You know, agreed. Uh, he just he had everything. He just didn't have that next, that that last little step is the biggest. And it's the hardest. And, uh, you know, second place in Olympia is the worst place in bodybuilding, period. Well, are you talking about the mental aspect of just having to deal with it afterwards? Or are you talking about just getting to that point in general? Second place in Olympia, um, you know, it's the most bittersweet day of your life. Because anybody who's ever competed or thought about competing dreams about being on Mr. Olympia stage, right? And tell, tell me a competitor who hasn't competed that dreamed of being on the Olympic stage and, and think that, thought about being the last two standing on stage, right? It's the ultimate prize, right? You train your entire life to get to that point. I used to wake up in the morning, first thing I thought about, winning the Olympia. When I was training during my workout, I think about winning the Olympia. Before I went to bed at night, the last thing I thought about was winning the Olympia. I dreamed about it. And I used to take showers and practice my victory speech in the shower. And um, I did it for the Arnold Classic and I did it for the Olympia. I, okay, what am I gonna say when I win? Because if you don't believe in yourself and you don't believe you can win, you ain't gonna win, you know. I'm a big believer. You gotta, you gotta believe it up here and here. If you can believe that, then you can make it happen. And I did that through my entire career. And um, I used to practice my speeches because I was like, you know what, I'm gonna be prepared when I win this thing because I trained to win. It's like if I, I could never train the way I trained if I was training not to win. To me, that just it wasn't. That's what motivated me to train hard. Because people say, why do you train so hard? You know, go so crazy. I'm like, because I want to win. I'm like, if I don't outwork everybody else, I will not win. And that's, I knew what worked for me and I stuck to it. So when you get to the Olympia and you beat every other bodybuilder on the planet, literally all the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of bodybuilders out there across the planet, it's you and one other person. And you're waiting for them to announce that who, you know, they announced the winner first. And uh, it's like, you go from you. I can't explain it. It's like, yeah, you beat everybody in the world, but one person. And uh, it's like that bittersweet moment. You don't know whether to freaking to cry or be mad or whatever. I, I went to my room and, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I just sat there on the bed. And Trisha was, you're right. And I'm like, you just don't want to be talked to. I just sat there. I'm like, you know, I put in so much work, years and years and years of work grinding. And I'm like, I got to that one, that last freaking little spot. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen. And so what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I just got fucking mad. And I went back home and went back to work. I went one the Arnold. 
So uh, it is. Yeah. And how many Mr. Uh, Arnold Classic Most Muscular Awards did you win? Six. Six, Six Most Muscular Awards. And I believe you won what, twice? The Arnold twice? Won it twice, yeah. Uh, 11 and 12. Yeah. Yeah. Back back to back. You know, it's a, it's a, looking back on it, like I said, I have no regrets. I did. I couldn't have done anything else. I did everything I could do. Um, you know, I had some pretty devastating injuries that, you know, slowed me down. I think I could have accomplished a little more than I did had I not had some of the injuries I had. I could have just, you know, took took away, you know, like we did 2011 Arnold or 2011 Olympia. You know, I tore my quad 30 days out. I was in the best shape of my life to be 30 days out. I was really, um, really excited about going into the show. And uh, I don't know how it would have turned out, but uh, I know that's your feel one. But was, I was, for me, the best I'd ever been. And I just got in second and third, you know, the previous two years. So, and I tore trice up one year, you know, a few weeks yeah. ago for, for the Olympia. So there was uh, some injuries. Were those, uh, any of those out of the gym or were those all in the all gym? Those were out of, all of those were out of the gym. So yeah, I never, uh, never got hurt inside the gym. So it cracks me up when people say, oh, he tore himself apart. Like, That's right. You freaking idiots. I'm like, if you pay attention and read, read the story, then uh, you realize all these things happen outside of the gym. So, uh, well, early on, you had a really power builder work ethic, meaning that you were willing to lift heavy weight. You weren't afraid of it. Do you think that came from being in your surroundings? Because I know you and Ronnie have that in common where you guys train in the same gym. Uh, are you still training at Metroflex? I am. So I get over there a couple of days a week. Me and actually me and Johnny are still training together. So uh, we get to, you know, three or four days a week. We still train together. Um, I try to do legs and, and back at Metroflex and then uh, sometimes chest. But um, actually, me and my partner, Scott, we just uh, took part of the warehouse and made it into a gym. So we just ordered a bunch of equipment. So I can, uh, Scott James. Scott James, yeah. Yeah, we so, got some stories about Scott yeah, James. We'll, we'll get that in a minute for yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, so a, I train here at the office here, you know, one or two days a week. I come in early and do it. And then uh, the rest of the time, I go to, go to Metroflex. You know, Johnny's making a comeback. He's going to do the Chicago Pro, which I think is in Atlanta this year, mm-hmm. and hopefully uh, qualifying goes to Olympia. But um, yeah, Ronnie, that for back to the question, uh, you know, the guy who got me into this bodybuilding was actually Ronnie Coleman's workout partner, this guy by the name of Mark. And uh, back then, he was actually bigger and stronger than Ronnie. And uh, you know, Ronnie caught him and surpassed him eventually. But uh, so when I was 17 years old, getting ready for I think my second bodybuilding contest, I trained that whole summer with Mark and Ronnie. And uh, Ronnie was so amateur; uh, it was right before I think he turned he turned pro. And um, so, you know, that's how those do train. I mean, they train super heavy and hard, and that's just what I did. And, you know, I trained at that gym for so long. When I got a little bit older, and I remember went to a couple other, you know, local gyms, and I'm training like that. Everybody's looking at me like, what's wrong with this kid? And um, I didn't know. I thought that's how, that's how everybody trained. But, uh, you know, super intense, high intensity, balls to the wall, heavy as you can go. And, uh, you know, there was the, the theory was you lift as much weight as you can lift, as many times as you can lift it, rest and repeat. And that's... It worked. I'm sitting there watching these dudes grow and get big, and I'm like, it works for them. It works for me. And I remember one day I, uh, I questioned what we were doing, and this guy Mark looked at me. He goes, "Shut the fuck up, do what we do, and don't ask no questions." All right, straight up. I did it. It worked. So there you go. And uh, you know the th- crazy thing is, you didn't really divert from that. You went that same from. A teenager all the way until your last year you pretty much use the same techniques you 
trained heavy, you trained hard. Um, you know, what was your, what was your rep schemes? Were you always doing similar rep schemes or were you adjusting them with the lighter weights and then work your way up kind of like, uh, with legs we did, we did high reps with heavy weight. So try doing high weight reps and heavy weight with legs and it, it destroys you. And so, uh, actually Brian, Brian Dobson, who that's who introduced it to Mark and Ronnie, and of course myself, that type of training on leg day. Right. And Mark, for those that you don't know, Mark, Mark's also the, um, uh, I'm sorry, Brian Dobson is the uh, owner of Venterflex, correct? Yes, correct. That's who discovered Ronnie and um, got us all. I'm still training at that gym. So um, he um, asked him one day, I'm like, where do you come with this crap? Because you come with this stuff, you know, that's three minutes on the leg extension or, you know, do squats for freaking two minutes straight or three minutes straight and right. all this crazy shit, you know, 100 reps on the leg press and drop sets and all this. I'm like, where do you come up with this crap? And he's like, make a long story short, he's, he was born in Michigan, grew up in Michigan. Well, he trained in the same gym as a guy you probably know by the name of Tom Platts. Yep, Tom Platts taught him how to train. And uh, so that's where he learned how to train legs. So he took the, all those things he learned from Tom, passed it on to Ronnie, me, and uh, that's how we learned how to do it. So, you know, he's, you know, we were doing, I remember uh, he said, hey, you have a goal. You're going to do 315 for 50 reps on the squats. I'm thinking, you know, you're freaking mine. First time you do it, you don't even get close to it. But then next week you do a little better. Next week you do a little better. Well, we kept doing this stuff. Now you have to be highly motivated, you know, some, to do this. But uh, it didn't take too long, and I could do 50 reps of 315 all the way parallel, back up and down, and uh, 50 reps, you know. And um, it's amazing what you can do if you're motivated and you put your mind to it. And um, when you train like that, you can't help but grow. I mean, you're going to grow. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. It's all about that time under tension. It's all that time under tension, and uh, I've remember doing the same thing with Seth Ferrosi. I did it with Dallas McCarver, um, where he was barely, I was trying to get him to do 20 or 30 reps on 225 and he threw up. And I, I still think I've got some video footage of that on my phone somewhere when I was working with Dallas getting ready for his pro debut. And same thing with Seth Ferrosi, you know, 20, 25 reps with, you know, 225, 315. And just because your body's not used to that and it's going to adapt, but how it does it adapt? it ends up putting on more muscle. So therefore you have better endurance and you get a stronger muscle is a bigger muscle. If you, you got to learn to, like I say, you got to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable because if you get comfortable with your training, they're going to progress. And that's one thing. That's why I trained so hard. That's why I do what I did. I knew that instinctively. I'm like, if I'm not in here about to be sick and about to freaking fall out, then I'm not, body's not going to respond because your body wants to adapt. Your body wants it to make it easy. That's why your body adapts. So that it becomes easy. So if you don't continually add stress and overload it, you're not going to progress and that means you got to be uncomfortable and so you got to learn to get uncomfortable being you got to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable and that means you've got to push yourself every time you go to the gym because my goal was every time i went to the gym i want to do better than i did the last time every fucking time and uh you know i would i'd go to the gym and that was my mindset like all right i did this last week on legs this week i'm gonna do this whether it was a little more weight or another rep or drop sets, whatever, some way to increase it, make it harder. So it was never easy and it never was. I mean, it was like me and Johnny say, you know, after a contest, we say, hey man, we're gonna take it easy for a couple weeks. Never happened. Finally, we just learned just to stay away from each other and stay out. I just would go to the gym and I'd take off for a you know, week or two and just not go to the gym. And because I knew when I went back, there was never, it was never gonna be no take it easy shit. It was, fuck this, we're going for it. And uh, it was balls to the wall every time. Yeah. And I think Ronnie mentioned that last week too. He said that he would basically take a couple months off just so that after the Olympias and then, so that way when he just jumped back into it, it would always go into a hundred percent and he maybe not, wouldn't go as heavy, um, for the first couple of uh, weeks 
or or no, I, I take that back. He said that he just did less reps, but he never really lost his strength. And then the reps would just go up as he built his endurance. So he's like, I could still do 200 pound dumbbells. I just do less of them. Yeah, I agree with that. That's, we did the same thing. That's, you know, with, with us, we did the same thing. We, we get back in the gym. We never really went less weight. We just, uh, like you can do as many reps. If you're doing 10, maybe you're doing six. But it didn't take long and you're doing 10 again. And uh, you just never miss a stripe. Yeah. And when I, when I started doing a lot of online coaching, that's one thing, whenever I would go out to work with somebody, I'd always realize most of the guys didn't train hard and I had to create a system. And that's how I created my whole FSD seven system was how to increase intensity to the point where you can do it remotely with somebody. Because I knew that if I went in there I could beat their ass for three days, but then I'd go home. And what was it? What was the takeaway? Because they didn't have that Brian Dobson or that Johnny Jackson that you have that would be able to help push you. So I had to create that. And that's where I feel a lot of my athletes ended up excelling because the people I worked with or who followed the system, because if you really follow the system, it's exactly what you said. It's you're trying to break through the adaptation of the muscle because you know, oh, it's just, it's just high reps. No, it's not. It's high reps with heavy weight. And then you increase it as you get stronger. And that's what that's all about. And that's how you end up getting more of that 3D muscle that you end up putting on, even when you're genetically not inclined to have that. And again, you, you genetically, I could tell you didn't have that genetically. You put that on because you just beat the shit out of it. And then it grew back bigger and stronger. <laughs> that's it. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's just, do you have the mental toughness and the self-discipline to make yourself do that year after year after year after year and then go home and stick to the nutrition plan and um, you know you got to eat when you're not hungry you got to make yourself um, stuff yourself when you're not hungry and then when it comes time to get in shape you got to have discipline to not eat the stuff you're not supposed to eat and still go to the gym and push yourself beyond your limits every single day and that's what separates that, that's why I was able to beat so many everybody in the world basically because I didn't give a fuck. I didn't eat nails. I didn't care. As far as training, I trained until, you know, I, I would get on the mindset, you know, I'd get under under a set sometimes, and I would set a goal for myself higher than I'd ever done. And uh, like one time I remember specifically, I was doing incline bench press, and um, I told Johnny, I said, I'm doing 20 fucking reps, no matter fucking what. I go, I'm going to do fucking 20, or I'm going to rip my chest, or fucking die. Like, I ain't fucking quitting. And um, I got 20 reps, you know, and um, that's the kind of, you know, mindset you had to have. And, you know, people say, well, how'd you fucking push through? And we'll think about this. Back to mental imagery, like I'll practice my victory speeches. So you're, you're doing a squat set and you're at that fucking end and well, you just can't go no more. Your fucking lungs are screaming. Your fucking legs are fucking shaking. They're on fire. They feel like you're about to rip them off the fucking bone. Well, what is the one thing you care more about in life than anything else? Your children, right? Your family. Is there anything you want to do for your family? So imagine somebody's got a gun to your child's head and if you can't get three more reps, they're gonna pull the trigger. You'll get three more reps. You might get four or five. So that's literally what you did. You had that mental mindset that you visualize somebody holding your family hostage at gunpoint. Absolutely, because there ain't nothing in the world that means more to me, right? And if if, if your family's safety was at stake and only you could save them was do three more reps, you're gonna do three more reps. And you'd be amazed if you freaking really, if you can put yourself in that state, what you can do. And that's how you can push through. And you can always do more. Always. Yeah, that's so what? That's you're gonna know so what if you throw up? Fuck it. Who cares? You get three more. Get ready, rest, and go do it again. How did you handle the fact that you were 
visualizing and you were basically talking to yourself about these things in the shower or at times I'm sure in the car after the workout or on the way to the gym. And cause you never came across as, as cocky, right? Everybody who I, you know, knows you, you're kind of the quiet one. Were you a person who would talk about this in front of your friends and family and loved ones, but really kind of outgoing, you wouldn't be like this or, or what? Because you were just never known to be that way in the, in the public eye. Uh, no, I'm not cocky at all. I'm not a, not a cocky person uh, because you get too cocky, you're get humbled real quick. Right. Somebody's always out there going to humble you and put you in your place. And so, uh, you know, uh, if you're successful, be grateful for it and be thankful for it. And uh, because, you know, it ain't going to last. You're the champion, you know, bodybuilding. It's not going to last. You could be Mr. Olympia. You could be an auto classic champion. You're not going to be for life. You're going to get, you're either going to retire, get injured, or you're going to get beat. And so uh, be grateful and be thankful and for what you have and, you know, what you were blessed with and what you earned through hard work. But uh, don't be cocky, man, because uh, there's no, uh, nobody, I don't like people like that. And uh, I'm not going to be like that. And plus, I'm going to say, example for my daughter, how, how you're supposed to act, how a man is supposed to act. And being a cocky little shit is not, a, not how a man is supposed to act. And, um, so, um, that's why I didn't act like that. Yeah. You didn't act like that, but, but you vocalized it. So you did it to kind of mentally prepare yourself to win, but you didn't do it to a point where you wanted to be outwardly like flamboyant, arrogant about it. What I was really good at was when I walked through that gym door, I could flip a switch and that switch was always there and I could flip it on. And when I flipped it on, I never that. And I, when I left the gym, I flipped it off because you know, I never brought that home my family or my friends or I never brought it outside of the gym it stayed in the gym because when I went to the gym that's I, was, I had a mission from the time I was like you know 18 years old I wanted to win be a world champion bodybuilder and so when I went and stepped inside the gym that switch I flipped that switch and it was a war that's how I approached it you know I'm mean, it's me versus the weights and um 100 pounds is always 100 pounds no matter what kind of day you're having the 100 pounds is always gonna shoot you straight it's always the same no matter where in the world you're at it's still 100 pounds and um, so when I walked in the gym, I flipped that switch and uh, I put myself in that mental state to where no one's going to fucking beat me. I used to say that shit. Nobody. Who's the last man standing? Who's it going to be? Because that was my attitude. It was a war. So if, if I got 30 guys in the contest, who's the last one standing on the stage going to be? Fucking, if you say it's going to be you or you're in the gym, prove it. So... And that's, and, and that's exactly the mentality that most people have to, you have to have to, that's the winner's mentality right there. That's it. And when you got one of your competitors, like Johnny Jackson, right there pushing you and he's beat me on some of this shit and neither one of us want to lose. So I'm, you know, he do more than me fucking then I really got to step up and push even harder sometimes to keep him from beating me. So, uh, that, and that the, the amazing thing about that was we always kept it positive, even though we competed in each other. Um, I don't know how many times we got ready for the same shows, but it was always positive. Even though we fought to the death in the gym, literally, um, we were always positive. So we've, I don't think me and him, and I don't think we've had a disagreement in 20 years. I don't think I've heard you have a disagreement with anybody. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, you might not have liked somebody or some things that have happened, but I can't remember, you know, anybody that you were vocal about that you had. Did you ever have any falling outs with any of the, any of the guys in, on the tour or any of the other and not really. Um, you know, you just, uh, I think if you take care of you and take care of your business, then, and not worry about whatever else is doing, that takes care of most of that. Usually most disagreements is when you get into disagree with somebody because you're sticking your nose in somebody else's business and not taking care of you. So 
that's uh i try to stay out of all the drama and the bullshit so when i, when I was on tour i was there to compete or i was there to take care of business do what i need to do and uh go home was there anybody that got under your skin more than any of the other guys oh yeah oh yeah so uh yeah there's there always somebody you know but uh that uh I just don't let shit like that get to me, you know. If I, if I really had a problem with someone, like I did maybe once or twice, I just wouldn't approach them, you know. I'm like, hey, dude, what's up, you know? And uh, we talk about it. And fortunately, most of the time, once you, you talk about it, like, man, you can hammer it out, iron it out, and go on. So, you know, sometimes you get so mad, you can't talk no more. You got to do what you got to do, right? But uh, Has that ever happened in the gym over there? I can, you know, because, again, I know Metroflex because I've trained there with Ronnie before. And yeah, Met- Metroflex was a was a wild place back in the day especially up and coming you know um it was like you had to earn your earn your stripes earn your respect so to speak um but uh yeah there was a lot of fights man um you know as a coming up and the rule back then it still is you know if you had a problem with somebody you went outside and you fought if you won you got to come in and finish your workout if you lost you went home for the day next day you're welcome back so that's just the way it's always been it's like an unwritten rule just literally you got you got problems with somebody you got beef with somebody and would it be just something ongoing or would it be just somebody that would just be like, Hey man, put your weights back. And then you get into it right there. And then. Man, it would just be some, you know, it was just, uh, it's really, when you, as you get older and mature and become less of a boy, more of a man, most of those fights were with some dumb shit <laughs> over a girl or like, you know, took my hundred pound dumbbells. Hey, I'm using those we're too bad. I'm using them now. Oh yeah, motherfucker. And so now we're going to go fucking sell it and we're going to find out whose dumbbells they really are. And I just, Dumb shit like that. It's so stupid. But, you know, when you're 20 something years old and you're in the middle of training and getting ready for a show, you know, somebody taking your dumbbells becomes like a a big deal, right? Yeah, it's like somebody trying to, you know, take your wife. It's like, just, it's like disrespect, <laughs> right? So it's just as dumb. It's so stupid when you're looking back on it. But, you know, at the time, you know, you, you ain't going to back down. So it's like, you know, you got two bulls in a pasture. And, you know, somebody ate somebody's grass or something. So now they're going to go fight to the death over it. So. <laughs> man metroflex days I, I heard all kinds of stories you know and again being there and, and seeing it and being able to understand the culture there i mean if for those of you that have not been to metroflex the original it looks like it's in a industrial area that they probably work on cars before they were a gym it, it was it actually was a it was a car repair shop before it was a gym 30 something years ago yeah, and that's what it looks like. Across across the street and next door, it's just what it is. There's car, auto body shop, a transmission shop, and uh, it's just an industrial area. It's a it's a rough place, and it's uh, no air conditioning, hot as hell, um, and uh, it does get colder in the in the winters, believe it or not. But um, luckily, we have a heater. It doesn't work too good, but there is a heater, and uh, it's just raw. I mean, it's really and truly, it's not that the equipment is old as can be, but it all works and. You go there because of the atmosphere. You walk in that place and it just makes you want to work hard, you know, because it's just, it's contagious. You know, everybody you see in there, they're there to train, man. Nobody's there trying to impress nobody. You're there to freaking get a workout on and majority of people are competitors and men and women and they're there to train. They're there to compete and win. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. They don't understand that it's the atmosphere is what drives that because the dumbbells are bent because they've been dropped by you, Ronnie, and everybody else. Uh, the cardio equipment is like, you know, we, we got some new, we got some new cardio equipment. Actually, we got oh, yeah? mills and a, and a step mill. So, okay. We're good for a while. It won't take yeah. a while. It'll get ragged out probably, but 
it's uh, right now we're good. Yeah, back when I was in there and you know, 2005 with, with Ronnie, when I was training Alti and I'd go stay with Ronnie and I'd train Alti. Um, I remember the treadmill didn't work. So you'd have to literally like run on it to get it, to be able to, to actually work. Remember that? <laughs> and then I remember being out there and you had just got done hunting and it was either you and Brian or one of you guys had like a, a boar like hung up in the we back. Used to, we used to take that pull-up rack outside and hang them up on the pull-up rack so we could butcher them or something. So you pull up and there'd be like hogs and deer and all kinds of shit in the parking lot that we were butchering to, to go grill. So it was, <laughs> it's one of a calm place. Yeah. I mean, literally, you, and, and we're not kidding here. There's literally game like, and sometimes big game that would be hung up and basically getting my lack of a better term. I mean, you would know this or not uh, better than I bled, bled out. Is that what they're, they're getting done? They're getting or gutted. Yeah. We'd already, we'd already gutted it, field dress it in the, in the field. So usually we'd bring it to the, bring it to the gym and I guess it was on the way back, back in and uh, we'd hang it up from the pull-up bar and then we'd on the pull-up bar, the pull-up bar that they use at the gym to hang up a, a deer that you guys shot with either a, a rifle or a bow and arrow, right? Well, yeah, bow, a bow and arrow, a rifle, a spear, whatever. A spear. The case may be. What is this, fucking 300, bro? <laughs> You're like hunting with a spear. <laughs> well, you got to whatever it takes to get the job done. You got to use it. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, so at the hog, sometimes we would use spears and actually, uh, it works actually better than a rifle. So on them. Well, I'll take it a step further because I remember out there, you were telling me one time I was out there that you got, you had literally, uh, when you guys go hog hunting, you take the dogs and you also sometimes will just take knives and it sounds crazier than what it is, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we have, I don't know how many, several million wild hogs in Texas and, uh, they're a problem with the farmers and, you know, they destroy fields and everything else so farmers are like yeah they never they don't even charge you they're like yeah go get all of catch all of them so uh, we'd catch a lot of the dogs would you know find them and then we'd have these uh, american bulldogs and pit bulls and they would actually catch them we put kevlar vests on them and these big thick collars protect them and uh they go on and catch these things and you know if it's a big you know 250 300 pound boar they they can't kill it but they can catch it hold it and then you get there you gotta go up and stick it and kill it and then we haul him out and Brian did a, uh, uh, he still does, and uh, through our church that we go to, there's an outreach for uh, people in need, homeless people, all this stuff. So every Sunday, we do an outreach, and uh, you know he would cook up pork chops and bacon and uh, all this stuff, and with all the everything else, and donated food and feed you know two, three, four hundred people a weekend. Wow! So you'd actually take the game and then donate it so that they can give it to the homeless and or people in need. Yes, that, that's amazing, man. That's amazing. Well, because I mean, you can't. You shouldn't kill an animal. You're not going to eat it. There's no, you know, I'm, I've been hunting my whole life, but, you know, my father taught me when I was four or five years old, you don't ever kill some boy just for the sake of killing it. You ain't going to eat it. You don't kill it. And uh, he uh, he made a, I learned that the hard way when I was a young, young boy shooting something I wasn't supposed to shoot. And um, he made me eat it. And it wasn't, you know, like I shot a possum or something. And he made me eat it. And it was nasty as could be. And I learned about a way that was a good way to teach me to not, you just go shoot stuff and, uh, unless you're going to eat it. So, um, you know, I, I have no problem with hunting. I love to hunt, but I have a problem with people that shoot stuff and let it lay. You know, if you're going to shoot a deer and let it lay just for sake of shooting it, that's fucked up. Yeah. So, so he's teaching you the value of life. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, in the grand scheme of things, especially if you're a hunter, that's, that's what it should be about. It should be about taking 
you know, the kill and use like utilizing. Absolutely. It. Absolutely. So, and, um, there's nothing, um, you know, I know people that, uh, think it's messed up, but you know, you go to the store and you get your nice little package of beef or your chicken or your fish or whatever. So what they don't realize was that stuff was like swimming around or walking around in the field eating. And, um, when it's hunted, it's a lot, we, we, when it's killed, it's a lot more humane the way we do it than what they do in a slaughterhouse. So I promise you that. So about mine, everybody's got to eat. So, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with eating meat or fish or, are you going out hunting late, lately? Are you still still going out on the regular, or not as much as you used to? This year, not a whole lot. I uh, last year I did a I did a lot. Believe it or not, even though I traveled, I was away from home almost four months of the year, you know, with work and traveling. But uh, I still managed to do a lot of hunting. Um, this year, not so much. You know, with the, the lockdown, everything shut down. The work is really, uh, you know, Wicked Cuts is really ex- expanded and taken off for us a lot. We're very blessed, even through the lockdown. We you know we grew tremendously. You know, since January this year, so uh, I haven't really had much of an opportunity to, to get away. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this fall I'll uh, I'll get away and do a little bit, but probably not not what I normally would do. Well, did you are you following some of the current bodybuilders? Obviously, you know Brandon Curry, um, current Mister Olympia, and whatnot. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? Because I I hear Ronnie's done interviews, Doreen's done some interviews. You hear interviews all over. I mean, what do you think of the new current situation with the new kind of competitors that are out there um i think brandon's a great guy i think he's uh, been a great representative of the sport he's a class act family man um you know i'm gonna i'm gonna say from a, a purely a physique standpoint um you know he's not the best mr olympic we've had physique wise um, i mean his legs are lacking i don't think he has a separation the conditioning you know they don't match his upper body um and i think uh you know, if Phil comes back and Phil looks the way we all know Phil can look, Phil gets his eighth victory. Um, right. Personally, last year, you know, I thought William Bonac was, uh, I thought he was going to take it because, you know, I thought he was just more complete. I thought his conditioning was better from the waist down. He wins hands down. And, um, he, you know, William's got a good back. I mean, he's maybe not the most aesthetic bodybuilder, but he was thick, hard, and conditioned. Uh, I thought he looked really good. I thought, uh, you know, ha- I always pronounce, mispronounce his Hottie. name. Hottie, yeah, Hottie. Um, I thought he's the best guy on the show, plain and simple. I thought he's the best guy on the show. He just is small. Um, I think that's in it. Like I said earlier, being big into Mr. Olympia matters. Um, I, I was very impressed with him. And um, so, you know, I think that's your, uh, I think this year that's going to be your top four. I don't know if Hottie can, is, is there's a visa issue or quarantine. Issue. Oh, there's always, there's both. There's, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about that on it, on things where it's, it's with him. It's, it's, it's got, he's got so many other issues besides the fact that he went from the two twelve to open and was able to gain a couple pounds and, and put that in because again, he was maybe two sixteen two seventeen um last year. So this year he's going to, you know, obviously try to grow into the show and uh, he's structurally um, a guy that can put on some more size. But well, I take that back. I forgot about Flex Lewis too. Flex, I know Flex is making a jump. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I forgot about Flex. Uh, you know, his condition is spot on, and I think you know you don't see overall. You look at the top ten, with the exception of those top few spots, you don't see the conditioning that you used to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, you used to look at the guy who was in ninth and tenth, and they were shredded. Um, you don't see that now. Um, Flex, uh, I know he's going to come in a little bit heavier. Uh, if he maintains, if he can come in a little bit heavier and maintain his trademark conditioning. He'll be up in the very top somewhere. I don't know where, uh, but uh, you know, Hottie proved you could be sub two twenty and still be at the top. And so, uh, you know, Flex, Flex will he'll be up there. He'll Absolutely. Be I don't know where, but because everybody looks, but he'll definitely be at the top. I think. 
Yeah. You can never, never sleep on a, on a guy that's been around and who's as seasoned of a bodybuilder as him. I mean, he's the kind of guy who takes his craft very seriously. So he's going to make sure that he, you know, no stone unturned. Do you know if, uh, I don't know the latest is uh, Sean Roden. Is he going to be able to compete? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they were waiting on the trial. And I think that with Sean Roden, it's been something that it's just, whether it's a trial or whether the next steps regarding his case, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure because I think that's what the whole hold, hold up has been so far. So um, your, your guess is a good mind in regards to what he can do. You know, I take issue with that though. Um, see, I'm, I'm a big believer in until you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. Um, you know, uh, I don't think an accusation should be uh, destroy your life. Now, if he's proven guilty, so be it. He should have the full full wrath of the law. If, he, if, 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 he's, if he's guilty of what he's accused of, that's really messed up and I have no sympathy. If he's innocent, you just destroyed a man's life and career on a false accusation. That's really right. messed up. And I, in my opinion, I think he should have been allowed to compete and still not destroy his life until uh, he has his day in court. Yeah, I mean, his day in court, I think, was supposed to come. But because of this whole COVID thing, I think that probably got pushed back, too. So I think that it's just, um, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of pictures or videos of him getting ready right now. So I can only assume that he's not doing the show. But at the end of the day, um, again, he could just be covered up and, and still training behind the scenes. But um, but so that's another bodybuilder that a lot of people would like to see, as well as, uh, you know, a good friend of yours, Dexter Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Dexter, man, he's amazing, dude. 50 years old. I know. <laughs> I mean, most victories in history, the dude don't age. It's insane, man. I was making a joke. I was like, uh, the other day, and I said, man, what is Dexter? And I'm like 75. And so uh, <laughs> still looks like he's 30. Um, I love you, Dex. But uh, yeah, man, he's just a credit to all bodybuilders, man. He's uh, It's amazing what he's been able to do and maintain his physique and the size and conditioning and just accomplish what he's accomplished, man. Won everything, literally. And uh, just uh, very impressive. I don't think you'll ever see another uh, somebody has the longevity he's had, plus have the success and the victories he's had. So it's been, what can you say, man? He's one of the greatest ever. Yeah. And and again, Dexter and I have had a little bit of a tumultuous relationship because of, of some stuff that happened in the past when I, when I was coming up and he would always kind of like dig on me, you know, him and him and uh, Curly Top and all them, they would, they, you know, again, this is back. 15, 17 years ago. And I would always be like, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you. And, um, it's funny because now that, you know, I've, I've been able to kind of prove myself in a lot of ways. I, I don't, it doesn't bother me nearly as much, but when I think about it, I go and I'd, I'd always vent to Phil and I'd be like, Phil, you know, Dex, da, 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 da. But if you just take that, the, you know, his, what you said, what he's been able to accomplish and then at the level he's been able to accomplish it at, at the duration there's nobody that's even close because people have competed as long as he has, but not at the, not at that high level. No, not that, that level. He's still winning, still being a top guy. And um, I mean, I turned pro in 2001. He was already competing before I turned pro. I competed for 15 years, retired, yeah. and he's still competing. <laughs> so uh, it's just insane. And I remember in 2015, I mean, well, yeah, 20, yeah, 2015, it was me and him at the Arnold. We went one and two, you know, and I'm thinking, Damn, man, we've been doing this a long time because in 2006, we were one and two, and plus all the ones, every Arnold in between there, we were battling it out, plus the Olympias. And I'm like, and this dude is still going. And he asked me, I think 2016, he's like, um, are you done? I'm like, I'm done, man. He's like, no way, man, you ain't done. I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, how much? You, how long are you going to keep going? He goes, well, yeah, as long as I'm still winning shows and still top four or five of the Olympia making money, I'm going to keep going. He goes, he goes, what else am I going to do to make this kind of money? I'm like, no, you got a point. 
And um, I just I just knew it was just for me. I was, you know, everybody, all, all the all some of the older guys, they told me they said, you'll know when to say when. And I knew, and um, I have no regrets. And but it's just what he's been able to do has just been amazing. So like I said, you're never we're never going to see somebody that's competed has his his longevity and have his success all the way through his career. What he's had, you know, there's been guys that competed as long, but they didn't have the success. So and and I agree with you 100. percent And I think that it's a testament to not only him genetically, but also his, his work ethic, because again, his skin tone, his, his texture, his, um, his conditioning, everything has been so consistent for so long. And we look at it and go, God, man, he's been, like you said, he's been around since like 1864. I mean, You know, I was like, bro, the Civil War. Tell, tell, tell me about the Civil War. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm sorry, man, but it's just like, I, you know, I'm just hating because I'm like, how, how, you know, like everybody looking at each other go, how do you do that? Like, it's, 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 it's crazy because, but going back to when you decided to kind of call it quits, was it a physical thing? Was it because your body wouldn't come back in condition? Was it, um, that, you know, not being able to lift the heavier weights? What was it that basically told you that, Hey man, I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out on this one. You know, when I turned pro, I thought, okay, if I can last for have three to five years, you know, win some shows, maybe, uh, you know, go to Arnold, go to Olympia, you know, you know, and I had the ultimate goals of winning the Arnold and winning the Olympia. But I was like, you don't know. You know, I was like, I didn't know. And um, I thought, okay, maybe five, five, six years maximum, you know, maybe. I don't know. And um, I was only 26 when I turned pro. Oh, I thought, but I thought surely by the time I'm 35, 36, I'll be retired. Well, 35, 36, I'm just hitting my peak, right? I'm like winning everything and doing really well. And um, so then I turned 40 and I just, you know, I got second at the Arnold, I think fifth at the Olympia. And I'm like, well, I slow down now. I'm still, still in the fight. You know, I thought I thought I was gonna win the 2015 Arnold up until the moment I didn't. And um, so um, coming back in 2016, I actually um, everything just changed. Um, my body just wouldn't respond. You know, just trying to keep my weight up was I was eating more food than ever, and my weight wouldn't stay up. And uh, my body just changed, and it wasn't for the better. You know, that's the first time in my, my entire career that I saw changes, and they weren't positive. And um, I remember, you know, guys used to tell me when you get in your 30s, your mid-30s, your body's going to change, it's going to mature, and you're going to see changes, and it's just going to, they used to say, look at a 180-pound teenager, look at a 180-pound 35-year-old, and how different they are, muscular, because your body just matures and changes, and it's all positive. Well, I turned 41, you know, in 2016, and I was getting ready for the Arnold, and um, just things were different, man. And um, I, uh, I got my worst place in, at the Arnold, I think I got fifth place that year. Got some couple of the new guys, young guys slipped past me. And I always said, if these new guys are beating me, then then it was time. I'm done. And because, uh, you know, I'd been, I'd been, had a long run. And, uh, you know, it was basically the same group of guys at the top for 12 years or something. Yep. Was, we all just, you know, the same, I can name them off. It's all world. It was the same guys. We just kept going back and forth. And so um, I knew uh, going into that show, I didn't know if it was going to be my last show. Mm-hmm. I got there, I competed, and, um, you know, I ended up in fifth. And, I got back to the hotel room and I told Trish, I was like, that's it. I'm good. I'm done. She's like, you sure? I'm like, 100%. And uh, she's like, all right. And uh, never looked back. Still feel that way? Still feel that way. So I got some board shorts, bro. <laughs> well, that would be like sacrilegious, bro. I would lose every fan I have. So they'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, 
yeah, it's a no disrespect to them guys, but uh, it's uh, yeah, I just you just know, man. And yeah, I uh, I didn't want to be that guy. You know, we've seen it in our sport and other sports who did really really well, mm-hmm. stuck around a little too long. Yeah, and they started falling, and I didn't want to get forced out. I want to step out on my terms. And uh, well, here's a problem you run into. It's the same thing that Phil's going to run into too. What you always have is when you have hit such a high peak and you've created such a threshold for yourself that you are always going to be compared against other versions of you, not just the people that are next to you. That's what happened to Kevin. Kevin LeRoy yeah. came back. You know, he came back and everybody remembered him being so great. The Arnold champion, the second and multiple second time Olympia, arguably could have won it one year. And he comes back. Everybody's looking for that. Well, I'm like, there's no way he's going to look like that because he's how old he was in his fifties or something. And right. like it hadn't trained for 10, 12 years. Right. So I'm like, you're not, you're being held to that standard and it's not going to happen. And comebacks don't usually work, especially if you've laid off for a long period of time. Um, you know, Phil's only been a couple of years. He's still relatively young. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think Phil can pull this off potentially and, and win again. And, uh, for a lot of reasons, but you know, for me, no way, you know, some, I've had people try to talk me into doing a comeback. Some people close to me, and I'm like, not happening. You cannot pay me. Honestly, cannot pay me enough money to make a comeback. I'm just not good. You know, I still train hard. I still love to train, and uh, I'm God willing, I'll do it as long as I have. I can breathe, and my heart beats. I'll still be able to train. But uh, as far as competing, man, I had a blast. I had to. I lived my dream. I got to travel the world and do everything I wanted to do, and that chapter is behind me. Well, and you got a lot of business going on right now, but I want to do a lot of listeners like to hear about people's diets and, and what they did. So if you can give me just a quick little breakdown, when you were in your off season at, at, at your peak, what was your calories like? Can you give me kind of what your base diet was like during that time? Man, I bet off season, I bet I only had like 4,500 to 5,000 calories mm-hmm. a day. I actually ate more when I was pre-contest than I did off season, I grew into my, I grew into my diets actually. Um, you know, I never always say lean. I never ate junk food. I always ate clean food, you know, chicken, um, a lot of, you know, bison. How many, how many ounces were you doing of protein per, per meal cooked? Uh, probably about eight to 10. Eight to 10. Okay. And then, and you're doing like five, six meals a day or? Yeah, six. Okay. Pretty consistently. And I, sometimes pre-contest, I'll bump it up to seven meals to get it in. Cause I, I like I said, I increased my calories. And um, I never really went low carbs. Um, I went low for me, but it was never really, you know, two, 300 grams was like a low day for me. Um, I tried to do low carb stuff and I showed it up to nothing. I get flat. How low, how low was low carb for you back then? 200 grams. So that was about as low as I ever. That was where you're comfortable low, but you tried to do like low, low, well, like, I, 50 I tried going like 50 grams or, you know, 25 grams, something, dude, it was not good because <clears throat> I just flattened out so bad. And then trying to, and I just couldn't, it's almost impossible to fill back out once you get super flat and it just didn't make sense. And, um, you know, plus your strength bottoms out and it just, uh, it just didn't work for me. I never looked good that way. And so when I started learning, when I finally, I did that for a while, actually early on in my amateur career. And once I finally was like, okay, I'm going to try to eat more food. Cause it's the biggest mistake I think guys have is when you're getting ready for a show is eating guys just don't want to let themselves eat an excessive amount of carbs and protein and all this stuff. You're a bodybuilder. You got to eat to feel, feel those muscles. So for me, once I realized it's okay to eat three, 400 grams of carbs plus all this protein, and then I, I would just look better and better. 
And um, I actually, you know, I'd grow into the diet. Once I learned how to do that, then I had it down. Then I could come in, I could be big, hard, full, bring that, bring that hard grain he looked at was my signature condition. Once I learned how to, once I learned to not be afraid to eat, getting ready for the show, then I, that's when I really made progress. Well, and when looking at you and, and, and as a, as a person on the outside looking in people who train at the level you do, uh, you know, I consider you in the same group as Ronnie and Hadi and these guys that are, you know, especially, you know, like when you're taking it to a whole nother level that your body can absorb so many more nutrients and a lot of people under eat, especially if you're out there beating the shit out of your body. Now, if you're doing a little 45 minute pump workout, no, you probably can't do three, 400 grams of carbs, but you know, then you might have to cut your carbs because you don't, you're not burning them off in the workout. But if you're doing that hardcore beating the shit out of your body workout, you're going to need higher amounts of food because you're going to need the fuel number one, but number two, you're also going to need to be able to make sure you don't flatten out too long. Cause like you said, you won't fill back up and that's where a lot of people get it wrong. You know, so the harder you, you train, the more, you know, that's why Ronnie could do barbecue sauce. That's why, you know, all of this stuff where people are like, Hey, don't do this or don't do that. Well, when you turn, turn around and you burn it off and you're training your ass off, you can do a little bit more carbs. You can do a little couple of grams of sugar and shit like that. Cause it doesn't make any difference at that. No, it just burns right off. It's like thrown into a, that, uh, like a inferno, like a furnace and just burns it right off. And, um, you know, I just learned that, uh, me eating higher carbs, I look better. Consequently, I could train heavy, pull it to the show. I mean, the last week or so I'd, I'd back it off, but my strength that went down, you know, cause I would start my diet at like, you know, 260 and I would repeat it like low two forties. Yeah. Which is like nothing. Yeah. And it's like no weight loss, barely. Yeah. So, uh, it, uh, which, you know, you grew into the diet, you know, and you actually put muscle on and grew as you dotted, getting ready for the show because I'd increase the calories and, um, increase the carbs and protein. And, and as I do that, you, like you said, your body can utilize more nutrients. And if you don't train really hard, it doesn't work the same. You know, I saw guys try to do that and I'm like, it ain't going to work for you. And it didn't because they didn't get in shape because they didn't train that hard. They didn't burn off. And they were just, you know, plus they just didn't have the discipline to be hungry. So, uh, cause you're going to be hungry. That's just part of, part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people will justify, I need more carbs because I need to stay full, but they don't understand that then they don't get in shape. I say, I'm like the cheat meal stuff. Like well, they, well, they call that shit now refeed day or whatever the hell they call it. So first of all, <laughs> fuck that. Well, why are you going to do something that's called cheating? Okay. Because if I, my, my theory on that was if I put something that's some bunch of shit food in my body, that's not helping me. That's helping freaking Kai. That's helping Phil. That's helping Jay. Everybody I'm going to stand on stage next to. If I'm, if, if I'm going flat, I'm going to eat more potatoes, more rice, this kind of stuff, and fill out with good food. You know, a refeed, or whatever this bullshit they call it, that's called you a weak pussy, and you're just looking for an excuse to eat more from some shit that you're craving. That's all that is. Seriously. It is. It's, a lot of it is the is a mental thing. You know, I know when I put them into my pro programs, it's because I know that if I don't give them a structured cheat meal, they're going to go out and keep eating bullshit on a more consistent basis. So I literally go. Okay, I'm just so I'm just so opposed to that. It's like, okay, yeah. you choo you're choosing to compete. You're choosing to be a bodybuilder. And I say bodybuilder, that's whether it's bikini chick, physique chick, it's all bodybuilding. Yeah. So why is it you got to go eat some shit? See, I don't understand that. To me, that just, I don't understand that. If you're getting ready for a show and you eat, you stick to the plan. Why do you get to have a meal where you go binge out and eat a bunch of ice cream or pizzas or whatever this bullshit is? That doesn't make no sense to me. Yeah. Why not eat more potatoes or rice or and, and fill up with good food? Uh, I think, you explain it. I, I know you. I, I want to hear from you because. Well, uh, let me let me tell you why. See, I, I have 
clean sheets, which is like sushi because it's just carbs with extra sodium because the sodium is that, you know, it's just like rice, but putting sodium, you know, soy sauce. So it's kind of more of, of the mental thing of you think it's, it's a cheat, but it really isn't. And then you turn around and then you have the guys that go, Hey man, I need to go out and have a pizza. And you're like, dude, come on. That, 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 that you just, you just fucked up a week. It's going to take you four days, five days to get back in shape. For you just don't that. need a pizza. You want right. a pizza. That's, that's a right. big difference. That, there's a big difference with that. Yeah. So for me, that's why I like sushi so much because it's fish and we always add an extra like salmon meal or steak with it and then say, Hey, do a teriyaki steak or teriyaki chicken or some salmon. And well, see, I, just, don't, I don't recall really call that a cheat meal. Um, I eat steak. I always had, you know, steak or buffalo in my, my program. Mm-hmm. It's a staple of my program. And sushi, I mean, if you're eating sushi, like not the rolls, but the raw fish and mm-hmm. the rice. I mean, yeah, no, not the fried rolls. No, no, you can't. You can't do the fried rolls because you might as well do French fries if you're doing that bullshit. Yeah. So that's that's the thing. But again, that's me. Now, do other people sit there and say, hey, man, go out and have whatever. I've seen it all. Like I've seen people do hot dogs and hamburgers and and I'm talking about like from McDonald's. And I'm just like, hey, bro. It, it, it's different than getting some sushi and, and again, doing some raw fish or doing some, some, uh, salmon with some soy sauce on top with some wasabi and some ginger that ain't going to do shit. You know, that's just going to fill you up when you'll gain a couple pounds of water weight and you'll drop it in 48 hours. It's going to be right out of you. So if you're flat, I personally like doing that because of the fact that the extra sodium puts a little bit of weight on, especially if somebody's getting a little bit too fast of a weight drop, that's, that's a technique that I use. But when it comes to the fried stuff and this and that and everything else, I just think that you're going to end up, unless you have some crazy metabolism like Dexter Jackson, because I've heard all stories of Dexter where he'd be like, Arnold would be up there and say, Dexter, how did you do it? You were like so amazing. How much cardio did you do? And he's expecting them to say like two hours a day. And he's like, no, man, I don't do cardio. I know. Yeah. How much posing did you do? Yeah. I came up with the, yeah, I came up with the, with the routine, like on the way here from the hotel, I was walking to the auditorium. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and so it's just like, you got guys like that who are just like, you know, genetic phenomenons and he's a, he's a phenom. And at the end of the day, then you have guys that are just sitting there going, ah, an hour of posing, doing this, doing that. Out of all the guys that you, you you trained with, who did you enjoy training with the most? I mean, is it Johnny? Is it anybody else? Cause I know you train with Johnny all the time. Johnny, by far. It's been, we started training together in 2001 and we're still, still training together. You know, we both, he, he retired there for a little bit, a couple of years, and then we still kept training um, and uh, never really stopped, man. So we have more fun now than uh, we ever, I think, did back in the day. It was cool. You know, there was days we go to the gym, we wouldn't even speak to each other. And uh, it was cool. It wasn't like nobody was pissed or nothing. We were just so focused. And we'd walk in the gym, we'd do our thing, and we'd leave. And uh, awesome. never even speak to each other. And it was, it was cool. I mean, it was, you know, a workout partner can be really good or really bad. If you get a guy who shows up every day, shows up on time, and it gives a hundred fucking percent every fucking time and tries to, no matter what you do, they're going to try to do what you do and surpass you. It's a positive thing, man. And, um, yeah, we compete against each other, but it was a positive because, you know, I'll, we'd be getting ready for the Olympia, the Arnold, whatever show it was. And, um, I'm looking at him and there was times I walked in the gym and I'm like, fuck, he's harder than me. And, uh, you know, we're four weeks out or something. And I'm like, I better, you know, and it, it, that was a good thing because it made me, step on the gas and push even harder and uh, to get in better shape. So it was, uh, and in the gym, I can, couldn't ask for a better, better trainer partner. I mean, the dude's a freaking bulldog. I mean, he's strong as hell. And uh, no matter what, he don't, he ain't never backed down from nothing. And uh, no matter what kind of crazy shit, I, I usually led the workout. You know, I was the motivation. Usually, and he was, he was 
right behind me, whatever I do, whatever I do, I know he's going to try to do more. And, um, let, let me ask you this, because this is something that I've always wondered, and I never really remembered to ask you, but now that we're doing this podcast, Johnny's been known to be a beast, super, super, one of the pound for pound strongest bodybuilders on the planet. Don't, can you let me know why do you think that you with your legs being so developed his legs always being a little bit underdeveloped compared to his upper body again just a balance thing that i saw why do you think that was you know what johnny's legs are huge look at him from the side mm-hmm. when he's on side chest side tricep his quads are huge all right um it's from the front it's just genetics all it is is shape he doesn't have <clears throat> he doesn't have that big outside sweep mm-hmm. um guys he cannot squat me uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now i i never beat him in a path for me never matched his his records i can squat a lot but um you know, I could beat him in reps, whatever. You know, if we're trying to see who can squat 500 pounds most times, you know, I could usually be, get a few more reps in him. I could do more, you know, that kind of stuff. But he's strong as hell. And uh, he, we did the same exact workouts for 20 years, you know, our entire pro career, you know, 15 years, whatever. And um, his legs got bigger. It's just he didn't have that big full sweep. And, uh, you know, if you look at my legs, I had the sweep and I had the inner thigh. Yes. And uh, which gave, you know, made him look. A lot of guys got sweep or they got inner thigh. But the guys that had those really world class, you know, Tom Plas, Paul and Mayo legs, um, you know, Jay Cutler, the same, they got they, they got that big sweep and they got that inner thigh. And that gives up that quad and that leg, that big full, full sweep on it. And um it's three dimensional. And yeah. he just did he just didn't have that outer outer sweep and it's genetic, you know, it's just it is what it is. And I don't know if you can I don't know if you have to work within it's the shape of the muscle and then he increased it, he made it better. He looked from when yeah. he started to his his peak. His legs got a lot bigger. They got more separated, but uh, it just is what it is. Right. Right. Bill Wilmore had that same situation where he would, from the side, he'd look good from the side. And then just because it's just the structure of his legs and he had big uh, inner thigh. But when it came to his outer, he looked good from the side, but from the front, he just didn't have that sweep. And he was also a bit taller too. So I promise you it was not for lack of effort because I was known as one of the best legs in the history of the sport. And he did everything I did and sometimes even better. Right. It just is what it is. What about cardio? What did you do for cardio? I walked my dog for 20 minutes. And do you feel like because, again, my theory is because of the fact that you put so much into the gym and you killed it so much, you didn't have to go and do a ton of cardio to make it up? Agreed. When you train super high intensity and you train the you know heavy weight reps and uh, the way we trained, uh, I don't think you needed it. Plus, you know, that gym is hot as hell. You know, and if your core temperature heats up, you're going to burn more body fat anyway. And I think that was, a, I think that helps. And, um, you know, that's all I just, when I was, how long was your, how, how long was your average workout? Hour, maybe legs and back a little bit more. Hour and 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, if it was super, super hot in there, like in August, July and August, it might be hour 45. Cause you got to, you know, if it's 110 literally inside the gym and we had to slow the pace down a little bit because it was just, you couldn't do it. But, um, yeah, and that's 110 degrees, people, with humidity. Like, I've been at the gym in the middle of the summer, and it is like being in the jungle. But um, you get used to it when you go to try train air conditioning, and you're like, you hate it. So uh, it's you get used to it, and it's just it's better. You know, you never pull a muscle, you know, because you're warmed up immediately. And uh, once you get used to that and you try to train the climate control facility, it sucks. Uh, just the problem is getting used to it because you're going to die first until you acclimatize to it. But... Um, it um, 
What were we talking about? Lost my train. Yeah, we just said it was really hard because of the fact that uh, when you when you trained, it was uh, an hour, so you didn't have to do an hour, hour and fifteen minutes of just yeah cardio. I, I just learned, you know, early on, I would do like an hour, hour and a half cardio, forty five in the morning, forty five at night. But I always came in. I never was full. And I'm like, I finally theorized, okay, I need to eat more food. And something also low got help, but I still wasn't. I knew I wasn't full like I need to be. And when I flattened out, it was my shoulders and chest that were flattened out. And um, I'm like, you know, I got to change something here because it's just not, you know, looking right. And early on, I, I never had a guru up until 2009. You know, I didn't work with any of trainer or anything. I did it myself. And so I'm like, all right, well, I need to change here because I need to be fuller. And so I said, like, you know, I'm doing too much freaking cardio. So I sit there and I theorize. I'm like, if I'm eating this much food, I'm doing this much cardio and I'm working out the way I'm working out, I'm burning too many calories and I'm not going to be full. So, and I was I'm like, what do I need to do? So I'm like, I cut my cardio back. The more I cut my cardio back, the better I looked. And I finally realized cardio guys isn't cardio. All cardio is, is to get your metabolism, spike your metabolism perfectly in the morning to get it going. And that's all it is. You spike your metabolism, you burn more calories through the day, you burn body fat, if you're on a, on, on a diet and you get in shape, that's all it is. You're not getting in shape to run a marathon or swim, a, swim 20 miles. So um, I'm like, you know what? But I need to kill myself doing this crap. So I get up, I get my bulldog, we go for a walk. And, you know, he was cool because he was a big muscled up meathead too. And uh, we both, uh, he understood the lifestyle. So by the time we got through, it's our 20 minute walk. Both our tongues are hanging out and uh, we were good. <laughs> so uh, that's awesome. I, I talked to Dorian uh, early on in, uh, in my career and I asked him about his cardio. I go, man, what you do for cardio? He goes, I walk my dog every morning. I go, for how long? He's like 20, 25 minutes. I'm like, cool, I'm doing the right thing. That is confirmed what I already already was doing and uh, that's what i did yeah yeah the, the training when your training is that good you could literally get away with very little cardio i mean it's just as long, you, know, you gotta you gotta burn it somewhere you gotta either burn it in the gym or you're gonna have to do the cardio and this, and then if you get really bad and you get your body fat really high then 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 you're really gonna have to do the cardio because if you let yourself go correct that's what i was about to add it's like some of you guys are gonna try to you know hear this and say i'm gonna do 25 minutes cardio and then you don't work for you because you're a fat ass all right, if you stay in good shape all year and you don't have to lose much weight, and I was losing 15, 18 pounds from Austin. That's including your water, bro. That's unheard of. Like to go only 20, 262 to 242, including water weight, that's crazy. And if you stay in good shape, though, and eat good all year, then you can get away with doing 20, 25 minutes of cardio. Um, if you get, you know, gain 40, 50 pounds, you got to burn all that fat off, then you're going to do more than 20 minutes of cardio. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So. Well, you know, um, I want to just finish up with just talking a little bit about Wicked Cuts, um, because did you get the whole idea with Wicked Cuts and the jerky, the company that you came out with uh, with Scott? Because, um, you know, going back to that, because of the fact that were you making your own jerky when you were doing your, um, you know, hunting? So Scott James is my partner. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott, I, actually, today, Scott said, I didn't realize you used to work for Scott back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, we were talking about it earlier today. I'm so so the, the story goes that I helped Ronnie get the deal with BSN because I was kind of like acting as manager to help negotiate the deal when his weeder contract ended. So that's how Ronnie um, ended up at BSN was because myself, Scott, and Chris, his partner, when they were looking for an athlete, they hit me up and said, "Who do you have?" And I had a couple of different athletes and they said, oh, this guy's been around with a lot of different uh, brands. I won't name names, <laughs> but there was. And, and so we don't know if we want him. Who's the best guy that's available? I said, well, you can't afford him. And he said, well, who is it? Who is it? And I said, it's Ronnie Coleman. And he goes, Ronnie's contract is up. And I said, yeah, his contract with Weeder is up because 
Weeder Nutrition was kind of going away, he was going to keep the Weeder publishing deal. And then I ended up getting on the phone with them. And literally two days later, we had Ronnie fly out to meet him in Boca and uh, both Scott and Chris. And then the meeting really, really well. And then I helped negotiate the, the, the terms, which I can actually talk about. It was about a half a million dollars because um, Ronnie mentioned it in the podcast last year, uh, last week. <laughs> so I, I, I don't normally talk about people's numbers, but he put it out there already and um, got him a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus and all the things that he did uh, about getting that blue, uh, that, that Bentley of his <laughs> that he, that he got. And he told, told the story on the podcast about how he went for a test drive and then he loved it so much. That he ended up buying the car. But that being said, Scott and Chris, uh, had basically asked me to come on board uh, right after that they signed Ronnie and I went around the world with Ronnie putting together a lot of the events with Ronnie and managing all the athletes. So I'm the one that actually signed Brandon Curry to BSN and I turned Brandon Curry pro when I was working for BSN also coaching Brandon, which a lot of people don't know about. So I ended up doing an event in Spain with Ronnie and Scott and Scott and I had to sit in the trunk of a BMW X5 on our way back because there was too many people in the car. So, so Ronnie in the trunk? No, myself and Scott James, your partner. Oh, the, okay. The, yeah, the previous owner of BSN, Scott James. Him and I were in the trunk because you, me, and him have the same haircut. We're all about the same height. And, um, you know, he's not nearly as big as you, thank God. But him, Scott James, and I, and then Ronnie big dog got to sit in the passenger seat and then the distributors were in the back seat. And then, so Scott and I sat in the trunk facing each oh. other saying, fuck my life. I go, I can't believe I'm doing this shit. I mean, we're in Spain. Okay. We're in Spain. It was either Spain and Portugal. Cause we were, we were traveling all over and Scott and I are sitting back here. I'm like, dude, if you, if you break wind, I'm going to, I'm going to punch you. I'm like, don't do it, bro. Don't do it. And he starts laughing. He's like, don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. So me and Scott James, who is the old owner of BSN and him and his partner, Chris Ferguson, um, Chris would be the guy in the office and Scott would be the in charge of sales. And then eventually when he sold the business, he moved to Texas in your backyard. And then you guys opened up wicked cuts. So that's how the story goes. We actually were on a plane, sit next to each other up and up. And first class, whatever, and um, I don't know where we were flying to. And um, we got talking. He goes, man, I always wanted to, I'd like to want to work with you and do something together. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. And I said, where are you living now? And he said, we just moved to South Lake, which is uh, just right here in between Dallas Fort Worth and a super nice area. And um, I said, all right. So we exchanged numbers. And uh, of course, I knew Scott, you know, from, from the BSN days and all the everything. And, uh, you know, coming out the first time I met him was at Metroflex. He was doing a shoot with Ronnie there. And so uh, true to his word. We got back and he called me and uh, we sat down and met and talked. And uh, I said, what is, uh, what do you think about doing? And uh, I thought he was going to do another supplement thing, you know, maybe try to do it again. And he's like, nah, let's do beef jerky. I'm like, beef jerky? He goes, yeah. I go, I don't know anything about it other than I like it. And uh, he goes, I don't either. We're going to learn. And uh, he pitched it to me. He said, you know, if we do supplements, he goes, how much, what are you selling to 5% of the population, maybe less that actually buys bodybuilding supplements? You know, probably two or 3% in reality. And he said, beef jerky, everybody eats it if you're not a vegan or vegetarian. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And you can put it anywhere. I mean, hardware stores, gas stations, supermarkets, gun stores, you name it. It's beef jerky. I see it everywhere. And um, I'm like, yeah, you've got a point. You know, it's in airports. It's in everywhere. So um, we went to work on it. And, um, you know, I knew about beef jerky. My father used to make it, you know, when I was growing up as a kid. I loved it. And uh, it's always something I, I liked. But uh 
I went to a work and it was uh, back going back to what I said. If you want to grow and expand, you gotta be you gotta learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So you know to do what I want to do in business is the same thing I want to do in bodybuilding. I want to be I want to be successful and uh, be really successful. Number one, just to prove I could do it, and I always like a new challenge. So um, jumping into this, it was a complete challenge. I had to had to do a lot of reading, a lot of studying to learn about it, and uh, me and Scott went to work on it, and we uh, put it together. It took about a year of uh, groundwork before we actually were able to get it on the market. And, um, a lot of back and forth and a lot of trial and errors, but uh, we got it done, and now we're up and running, and we've been open about two and a half years. So, uh, and probably since January, we've exploded. We've probably grown 300% since January. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. So, uh, going really well. So it's been fun. And the cool thing about it is I'm having fun. It's a, it's a lot of work, you know, uh, but I have a blast. And uh, working with Scott's just been the best thing ever. You know, Scott's probably forgot more about business than I'll ever know. But yes. uh, so um, he's been, you know, hugely successful. And uh, we're on our path to, to do it again, or he's on his path to do it a, a second time. And I'm enjoying it for his uh you know, the first, uh, I've had other businesses before, but not to this, uh, not to this level. And, um, uh, I'm just loving it every, every, every step, every process. And I'm learning a lot. And, um, you know, like I said, when you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, you force yourself to learn, you get better. So that's what we're doing. Oh man, congratulations on all the success. Like, again, um, my wife sells it in her store at Nutrition Palace. She does really well with it. I mean, I, I talked to you about it at one of the expos. I said, Hey man, um, and I think you gave me a handful of samples. I brought it back. She loved it. She turned around and says like, Hey, yeah, this is really good. Um, you know, go ahead and, you know, give branch a call. And I, you guys hooked up and it's been successful ever since. I think you've seen the uh, orders grow. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for bringing it in. Yeah, man. So it's been, uh, it's been good. It's been, a uh, the jalapeno, bro. The jalapeno is my favorite brother. <laughs> yeah, I got some right here. <laughs> there you go. You better be sending me some extra of that. But next time you come up here, man, you need to come by the store and we got to get a training session in together. What do you think? 100%. 100%. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be up there sooner rather than later if all this nonsense of uh, the pandemic goes away, hopefully. And I shouldn't call it nonsense because a lot of people have gotten really sick over it. But uh, it's, it's not nonsense, but uh, just. No, I think the lockdown, I, I think we're just, it's nonsensical about the lockdown portion of it. I, think think, I, I totally think we could have gone about it smarter. I think. Uh, the way they went about it, it's, it's hurt a lot of people. A lot of people are really in a bad spot financially. You know, I've seen, I've seen so many people, you know, shop here and here, go out of business and restaurants and, you know, big, you know, some big businesses are really hurting. A lot of people are struggling. And I think we could have gone about it smarter where it didn't have such a huge financial impact on people. So it's really, really ruined a lot of lives how it's, um, how it's been done. Yeah. Well, I think, like I said, hopefully we end up getting together sooner than later. So we can get that workout in and, um, and then by then maybe you can get some new flavors because I'm, you know, going over, I'm going through that stuff. Like it's water. I got some new flavors. We've got two new beef sticks coming out. Uh, actually two, uh, actually chicken sticks coming out and we got some beef sticks on the way too. So uh, each one of our beef sticks has 15 to 16 grams of protein and, uh, all natural, no added MSG. So, uh, we got those coming out. Plus we have, uh, some new jerky coming out. Nice. Then we, uh, I don't know, we may be having some of this stuff come out. Oh, nice. So, well, you better be sending me some of that. So, uh, some of those. So I can't say what it is, but I think you can probably see what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you that are not watching on the podcast, you're going to have to go to the YouTube video so you can see what he had in his hand. But uh, yeah, I got that coming out. And then first of the year, we got some, uh, actually, the first quarter next year, we've got some really innovative uh, new stuff we're going to come out with too. So we're working on now to probably take us to, to the first quarter to 
to get it on the market though. So. Awesome, man. Well, congratulations on all your success. Um, I want to thank you again. Uh, and what's the best way to get for people to get a hold of you? Hey, you can direct message me. Go to the branch one on Instagram or Facebook and uh, direct message me. And uh, I get a lot of messages. So um, if I don't get back to you right away, don't get impatient. It usually takes a few days. I'm always running about a week behind usually on uh, responding to messages, but uh, we will get back to you. And, uh, you know, as you just let some some crazy shit. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we, I, I do try to get back to as many people as I can. So uh, you can always do that. And um, that's the best way to get hold of me. So also I want to give a shout out to Robert with Apollo Nutrition. Uh, I just came on board with those guys here the first of the month. So a uh, great group of guys, man. They're based out of New Jersey, Apollo and Jim up there. So uh, working with them and uh, we just got started. So doing, uh, doing some fun stuff with those guys. So just going to give them a shout out. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, I just want to say thank you again um, to all you listeners. Again, please don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Uh, again, thank you, man. Always a class act. Appreciate your time, Branch. Um, from everybody out there that knows you, who's followed you for years, there nobody works harder. And I want to say thank you for always, always being such a respectful father and a great mentor to all of those that are out there looking for a better way and a better path on how to be a, not only a bodybuilder, a entrepreneur, but also a good father. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you. That's the best, best way to lead is by example. Right. So absolutely. If you, if you live it, people listen to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm Hani Rambod, Branch Warren. And that's the truth.